let's, let's open to Acts chapter 6. Um, this is a transition point um, in our uh, journey through the book of Acts. So um, Acts tells the story of the expansion of the church. Okay? After Jesus' resurrection, um, with a few disciples there in Jerusalem, and then the beginning of the church beginning to take root, explode. Now keep in mind, um, this was primarily a movement that was happening in Jerusalem. Right? This was a, this was a, a spring off originally of Judaism. Um, and so the claim here is that Jesus fulfills Israel's story, that he is the Messiah, um, and that he has a plan for the entire world to be healed, to receive God's love. This is the gospel, the good news. Um, and this movement begins in Jerusalem. What we're going to read about today in Acts chapter 6 is actually the beginning of a transition where the gospel is going to move from Jerusalem really literally to the ends of the earth. That's why we're sitting here this morning, right? It, it is actually covered and is covering the globe and its vision, its expansion to take this gospel all over the world. But you ask, how did it get there? Well, it got there through persecution. So as the church was getting root, it was taking root in Jerusalem, it was growing, the message of Jesus and the good news was getting out, and it starts to get opposition. And we're going to read about a guy today, his name is Stephen, um, who uh, marks sort of his, what happens to him, marks a great wave of persecution that comes to the church. And inadvertently, the enemies of the church, as they persecute the church, actually spread the church. Because people have to run sort of for their lives, literally, we're going to read about this in a second, um, and they take with them the gospel to many other places that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. So let's, let's begin reading in verse 1. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Verse 1, chapter 6 of Acts. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Tumman, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them. They laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of the believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Stephen, verse 8, a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it were called, started to, to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple 
and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel. Okay, now, um, let me just summarize. Stephen, this man full of God's grace and power, begins to preach the gospel with power, stirs up trouble. Some people from the synagogue, they begin to argue with him and debate with him. Eventually, they can't overpower him with their arguments because Stephen is eloquent and is answering, um, you know, wisely. And so they stir up basically a little, a little group of lying witnesses who bring a formal charge. So he's brought before the synagogue. Um, and as he's preparing to respond to this council, this little mini trial, uh, keep in mind that the synagogue leaders had under Roman authority quite a bit of power. So they were like the civil government. So he's brought before them. And they are looking at Stephen as he begins to speak, and his face begins to shine. I mean, this guy's got mojo not only in his words, but literally the power of the Holy Spirit, which we've been studying, is like filling Stephen. And they're looking at him going, whoa, I mean, is that, is that Energizer batteries? What, what is the deal? He's got, he's got um, a, a, you know, shining like an angel um, in, in the power of his spirit. So um, thus begins Stephen's defense uh, in chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 is quite long. Let me give you a little summary of basically what happens in chapter 7. Stephen begins to give his defense before this council. And basically what Stephen says um, is, um, listen, let me give you a little history lesson of our people. God, the great God and creator of the whole world, basically came to our forefathers, Abraham, and he chose from all the people of the earth um, this family, Abraham's family, which eventually became the nation of Israel. And his desire for this, this nation was to bless them, to reveal who he was to them, and through this family to bless everyone else. And basically, he begins to recount their history from Abraham all the way through Moses and all the great acts of God with this family, bringing them out of the land of Egypt, establishing them as a nation in the, in, in the place where they now were. Um, and he says, basically, what happened is God was faithful over and over to do miraculous things, to prove himself to you, and here was your response. You continually rebelled against this God, great God, and you went your own way, and you turned the heart of this good news in the gospel that was for the whole world into basically a private party of people who could be in and out, and you made rules and regulations, and you missed over and over again the heart of this great God who is now speaking to you afresh in this person named Jesus. Okay? And, by the way, God, in his mercy and grace, kept sending you prophets. They were messengers to remind you of the essential message and how good the good news really was and what your commission, what your destiny really was as a people to be not just about yourselves, but about the whole world, to bless them. And you know what you did to those prophets? You persecuted them. You even killed many of them. And so now, God has sent to you his son, who by the way, you persecuted and killed and crucified, but could not keep him in a grave. And he rose from the dead and ascended into the heaven. He is now Lord of heaven and earth, and he is sending us his apostles. Now remember, his face is shining with power. Um, to be messengers of this great news, not cutting you off, but inviting you to be a part, to participate um, in your original commission, to join us now in this great good news that can go to the nations. 
Um, and by the way, what you're doing now is very similar to what your forefathers did. You are the same as them. You're rebels at heart, you're self-righteous, and you're stuck on yourself. Um, this, by the way, made these council members mad. Okay? And so they begin to get riled up. They begin to be rough with Stephen. They begin to, they begin to uh, incite a mob. Um, and so we'll pick it up in verse 55. And we see here, by the way, if you want to get a little flavor of, of Stephen's uh, rhetoric here, 51, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? Okay, this is what made them mad. Okay, so verse, verse 55. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of, uh, Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats, laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul... Verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 1, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. Now notice this, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Okay, now, this is a picture here of mob fury. It's a really, really dreadful scene, isn't it? Um, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, um, testifying with power for the good news and for their good news, for, the, for good for them, um, is met with violence. Um, and they begin to stone this man. Um, they had to leave their coats with Saul. Did you notice that? Um, apparently, having a tunic on inhibits your wind-up. I mean, I'm serious. When, you're, when, you are, when you are trying to, like, smash a person with rocks, it's hard to do it with a, with a cloak. Um, so they basically laid their cloaks at Saul's feet so that they could really get their mojo up for the for the stoning. Um, and can you imagine being Saul here, this young leader uh, in, the, in the synagogue who was collecting the coats, basically, basically holding on to the coats so that these people could brutalize this man, um, literally smash him to bits. That's pretty gross. I mean, that would have been smelly and bloody and can you feel and hear the sounds of this? And what it says here is that Saul approved completely, he approved completely of this murder. 
Now, the question that I want to ask you for a second is, when you have a past like this man named Saul, who literally braided people, who beat people, who bound people. The text tells us in chapter 8 that a great wave of persecution broke out against the church led by Saul, that he was personally coordinating, planning, and executing not only the stoning, but the, but the uh, violence that broke out all over the, the province against these believers. So, so when you have a past like that, how do, you, how do you get over it? What do you do with it? It's interesting because uh, the Bible is startlingly honest. It's startlingly honest about its main characters. Have you ever noticed that? Um, we might say this, the Bible really only has one hero. Jesus Christ, right? Everybody else in the Bible, because Saul eventually goes on to become the Apostle Paul. We're going we're to find out about that a, a little later here. Um, but Saul, now the Apostle Paul, eventually the Apostle Paul, had to carry with him the memories, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the reality of what he had done, right? Paul remembered this. He remembered his past. He actually writes in one of his letters in the New Testament. He, said, he says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. In fact, Paul, many times in his letters, brings up his past. He remembers this day with Stephen that we just read about in Acts and many of the forthcoming days where he persecuted the church. By the way, he was dragging off not only men, but it says also women. I'm not sure what happened to the kids in that kind of a scene. Just horrific, horrific thing that this man Paul did. Now it's interesting, Paul remembers his past. He never forgot it. He references it often. But he didn't get stuck in it. In fact, in one of his letters, Philippians chapter 3, he said this, I focus on one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Paul, a man with an incredibly heinous past, finding redemption and forgiveness in this person that he testifies about called Christ Jesus, who so changes him on the inside that he can move past the past and say, actually, I have a new focus. I have a new source of strength. I have, a, I have an ability to get up uh, and live my life with purpose. Now, here's my question to you. Paul was able to deal with his past. How do you? You know, I talk, I've talked to a lot of people, of course, of what I do, 
uh, and they tell me stories. They tell me stories of their lives that are filled with regret about the bad things that they've done. Yeah. About the bad things that have been done to them. About the way that their life has gone or not gone. About regret. Someone has said that regret is the sharpest knife of all. Someone else said this. If guilt doesn't kill you, it's the regret that eats you alive. Can you relate? Are there ways this morning that your future, if you're honest, is actually being harmed? It's a prisoner to your past? Well, when we read this account from Acts, we see, we see the real story of a, of a man with an incredibly heinous past. His name was Saul. But we also know, as we look at the Bible and read the rest of the story, that this same man had a new beginning. He had a change. He was able to, he was able to deal with his past in a way that gave him a different kind of future. Okay? And so I want to talk with you very briefly here in the, in the minutes that we have left about five truths about your past. You may want to open to Romans chapter 8, uh, this, is another, this is another book, another chapter that this man, Saul, eventually the Apostle Paul, wrote. Romans 8 is an incredible chapter. Uh, I, want you just to, I want you just to know where it is in your Bible, if you can, because later I want you to read it okay, with this in view. Because this is a man with a past who also said, I can focus on one thing, forgetting what's behind and pressing forward okay, to the future, to, to what's ahead for me. Okay? And, and here's... here's the first thing I want you to know about your past. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your past doesn't determine your future. Isn't that good news this morning for those of us cycling through regret over things that we've done, things that we've not done, things that have been done to us? Your past doesn't determine your future. Here's what the Apostle Paul found. He wrote about it in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. He said this, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. In another place, another letter that this Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians, he says that all things in Christ have become new. That you are a new creation as you come to Christ and he does for you what only he can do by way of forgiving you and by giving you new life in God through the Holy Spirit. You know, this morning, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you know what you are? You're new. And there is no condemnation over your life related to your past. The worst of it. Now think about the Apostle Paul. He knew of what he wrote. He was a man that was acquainted with many, many heinous things that he had done and probably also that had been done to him. But we know that heinous things were done to him later in his ministry. And he says that the, that the statement over his life is no condemnation, that you are new. Um, this is, by the way, when you look at this word new, it's actually like a new new. 
It's like a new kind of new. It's not just a new leaf that you turn over in your life. It's like a new identity. You have been given something from God that makes you brand new, like a new new kind of life. And so you say, well, what, what actually stands over my past, whatever it would be this morning, over my regrets? Well, a new kind of new in Jesus Christ. This is, this is what his word is for you, that there is no condemnation. Now, here's the question. Is the shame that you carry healthy in your regret, or is it toxic? Now, here, here's the difference. Healthy shame looks at the reality of a situation something that you've done or has been done to you, and says, that was wrong. That was bad. Toxic shame references something that was done to you or that you did, and it says, I am bad. I am wrong. Do you see the difference? That was wrong. That was bad. That's healthy shame. It gives us cues about reality. I am bad. I am damaged. I am wrong. That's toxic shame. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, I was able to deal with my past because I discovered that my past wasn't me. I did wrong things. I did horrible things. I did things that I regret. They were bad. I am new. I am God's child. I've been forgiven. I've been adopted. See, this is your destiny in Jesus Christ. Some of you, it's like hard stop, go home, right? Because this is where you live. In the cycling of regret, you're tempted to move past honest statements about your past, and you take it as an identity. And what what Paul would say to you today, I believe, if he was, he would hear, it was here, he would say this, your past is not you. It doesn't determine you. It's not your future. All right? Second thing is this. Your memories and feelings about the past are happening now. See, there were some things that happened then. You can tell the stories. But the memories and the feelings that you have about them are happening when? They're happening now, right? They're your memories and your feelings about the past. Another way of saying this, it's a little bit of a mind bender, but think about it with me for a second. Um, is the past, as you recall it, actually isn't the past. Think about it for a second, right? You're, at, it's the past, as you recall it, is actually your current memories and your feelings about the past. Now you say, Dale, why is that important? Well, because you have agency in that, right? In the present, you have agency. In the past, there's no way to go back. There's no way, there's no way to undo. There's no way to redo, right? The past is the past. But right now, the memories and feelings that you have live in the present, right? And that gives you agency. That means new perspective, Changes in the way, in the stories that you tell about your past. Opening up to, to having your past literally remade in the present by Jesus Christ. See, this is what Paul discovered. Look in Romans 8. 
He says this over and over in various ways in this chapter, but he basically says, listen, the X factor for you related to your past is that right now the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. When? Right now, right? So your memories and feelings about the past live right now, but who also lives right alongside that? The living God by his Holy Spirit. And he's giving life. He's actually active in your life right now. In the story that you tell about your past right now, Jesus is also there telling a story. You see what I'm saying? He's telling a story that overlaps with your story. Wow, this, this means possibility, right? This means a new kind of new. It means that the past that lives right now lives alongside of the living God who, who lives in you right now. So here's the question. How is God inviting you to experience him in regard to your thoughts and feelings that are shaped by the past? Have you ever asked that question? So you cycle through regret, the memories, the thoughts, the storylines, the what of, the what of, could have, should haves of your life. You know who also is active telling a story about that right now? Jesus Christ, who raised from the dead with healing in his wings, who lives in you right now, who's giving life to your mortal bodies. Hmm. Yeah, there's an invitation here to something new right now that gives a different possibility in the present about your past. It's kind of like the metaverse here, but in the present about your past. Now, some memories, here's the third thing, some memories and feelings about the past are pretty sticky. Would you agree with me? In other words, you have lots of memories. You have lots of stories to tell about your past. Some of them are hot. Some of them are about things that happened, either that you did or that, was, that were done to you that are hot. They have anger. They have hurt. Those are intense feelings. Would you agree? Hurt and anger are, are intense feelings. In fact, you can sometimes, when you, when you go back and relive a story of something from your past, right, you can actually feel it right now in your body, right? It's like you're back there. You hear a song. You, you smell something that's sensory. You, you have a dream, Okay, and it takes you back there, and you can actually feel, you re-experience the reactivity, the hurt, the anger, the fear, the shame, right? It's all living inside of you. Some are very sticky. Now, when those sticky emotions arise about your past, part of, the, part of what makes them sticky is that they draw your what to them? Your attention, right? Your attention goes to them. You want to think about them more, or you want to push away from them hard, Right? You're pretty reactive, right, to the memories and feelings that come up related to the past. Now, listen to what Paul would say. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. Now, listen to this. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. You know what this is including? Those sticky memories, those hot memories, those reactive memories, feelings that we have about those memories. Yeah, I mean, so, so Jesus is in the middle of this. You're not, you're not beyond the pale when you're activated by your past. What beliefs about your past, what storylines are keeping you stuck is the question. What story do you tell yourself about those hot feelings and memories? 
You know, people tell all kinds of stories that are, that are pretty much just not helpful. Okay? They, say to them, they say to themselves, they've said this to me, I just need to forget this. So their strategy to that is just to try to jam it out of their minds and to stuff it away. It was so bad that I can't heal. If I let this go, isn't it like I kind of disapprove of what happened? The only way that I could ever get unstuck is if I could have a chance to go back and undo it. I need an apology or an acknowledgement at least. I just can't let it go. Time will heal all wounds. Except it doesn't. And so, moving past our past involves here the fourth thing. The way through your feelings about the past is actually new experiences of them in the present. Remember, the present is where your memories and feelings about the past live. The present is also where Jesus Christ lives. The present is where we can have new experiences, right, of love and of reassurance and of healing that can change the memories and feelings that we hold about the past. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but I think you guys know I'm a counselor on the side here. The neuroscience is actually showing us that the way that our brains fragment into a thousand pieces is through disruptions of trust and love. So safety, belonging, predictability. That's how we break. You know how we heal? Through new experiences of love and trust. They're called correctional relational experiences. The only way that you really heal at the very core is to have new experiences of love of safety, of belonging, and predictability. Do you know what the good news of Jesus Christ is? It's God's megaphone to say, hey, you're loved. Hey, you're safe. Hey, you belong. Hey, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. I'm taking you somewhere. And you know what the community of faith is? It's people that have heard those hey's and have begun to trust it, and so you have capacity now to go, hey, it's all right. We're together in this. We have God's love. We have his hope. We have his provinces, promises. We're seen as bad as it was. The best is yet to come. We have a future. We have a destiny. And see, having those experiences, taking it in, is what actually heals your brain. Now listen to this. It's a, look, at, look at this in Romans 8. Now, now, there was the past, but now, we call him Daddy, our Father. He is near. His Spirit, who lives in us, joins with ours, like our Spirit, like we can feel it. And you know what? You know what that Spirit's saying? Affirmation. You're loved. You're God's child. Now listen. You're loved by God. You're forgiven by God. You belong to God. Isn't this amazing? This is what the Spirit is saying all day long when you walk with him. He's saying, listen, you can have new experiences in the present that will heal the memories and feelings that have been shaped by your past. You know all those fears of commitment, (laughs) that deep belief that you have to protect yourself, that you have to be in control, that you have to wrangle out of your life any kind of safety and belonging? Guess what? 
the God of heaven sees you. He's affirming in you that, whoa, there's a bigger story, that no matter what happens or has happened, he's taking you somewhere. This changes the human being. It cha- this is what Paul discovered. He's like, man, I have a past. But man, I don't even focus on that right now because I'm so intoxicated with what God's telling me in the present about who I am and where I'm going. Yeah, it set me free. And it's for freedom, Jesus said, that you've been set free. Last point here, God's grace gives you a new beginning, a new perspective, a new purpose for your past. Look at Romans 8 again. Yet yet what we suffer now, and that includes your past, is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Despite all these things, fears without, fears within, what happened to me, what I did, my feelings about it, despite it all, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who what? Loves us. Just being loved. Just being put back together again from the inside through love. Just putting other people back together through love. I mean, that's what we do. That's who we are. That's what the good news is all about. So here are some future words about your past. If it's part of your story, it's part of your unique contribution. You know, Paul said somewhere else in Corinthians, he's like, man, we had a time in this city and like it wrecked me so bad that I lost all hope. I was so depressed. I was despairing of my life. And then somebody came, you know, uh, uh, from the church, and they encouraged me and comforted me, and the Spirit helped me. God helped me with comfort. And so now, guess what I'm giving you? The comfort that I received in my affliction is what I give to you. You know what, you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, the suffering about your past and the, and the comfort that you receive in the present from the Spirit and from, from love is actually part of your re- unique relatability. It's your ministry. It's like what you get to speak to God takes your past and he gives you a purpose to use it to bless and to help. Regret about the past is actually an invitation. Have you ever thought of it that way? I mean, the things that you would most like to, to write out of your story and get out of your mind actually is they're coming to you with a divine purpose to invite you into the experience of this kind of love, right? And it's actually the pathway, like Paul said, man, my past actually led me to this new, new, like this new realization of what's available to me in the present. And it's given me purpose and power in a way that now it's oriented in my entire life. It's filling me. And guess where it's taking me? All the way to God. It's taking me to eternity. And in the same way, your past, as bad as it might be, is an invitation to transformation for your future. And then finally this. Your past actually isn't a destination. In God, it's what you pass through to get to who and to where God is taking you. Here's another, here's another quotation from the Apostle Paul. Listen, he, this is what he'd say to you, I think, if he was here right now. I'm the least of all the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I have a past. I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. And, by the way, his grace to me was not without effect. Like, see, it, it worked. It worked in me to take me past my past into my future. So here's the question. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me today related to my past, related to my present, related to my future? Okay, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for my friends. Uh, thank you that we get to be a learning community going through on a journey through the wisdom of your word. God, I just felt so intensely this week that there were people that would be walking in the doors that are stuck in their past. They're recycling it. The bad things, the regret of things maybe that they've done, people that they've hurt, ways that they haven't lived up to who they wanted to be. And they just can't get past it, Lord. It just colors, it colors their life. And other people, Lord, carrying the wounds of the past, like bad things, wrong things, hurtful things that were done to them. And God, they wake up with it in the night and they break down with it every so many months and they just can't seem to live in the freedom that you want for them. Recycling the past. But God, I thank you that we have agency this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit that all of those things, all of those feelings, all of those memories, they live with us right now in the present where you live by your Holy Spirit. And you're wanting to communicate with them right now to their hearts, life, love, reassurance, forgiveness, hope, new experiences of life and love. God, would you meet them in the deepest places of their hearts this morning with reassurance, with kindness, with grace? Would your grace towards them not be without effect? Would they be able to say to you this morning with open arms, I am what I am. With all of my story, would they be able to open in hope to your redemption, to the purpose of their lives? Lord, would their past cease being a destination? May it be something with you that they could pass through to an incredible future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.